Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. When you hear of the law, the Torah, what are some things that come into your mind? In other words, what are some of the chief characteristics of the law of God? The answer may surprise you. Because if we look at the greatest of the commandments, we find that, that God said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your very essence. What do we see here? Love. And then Messiah, he quoted that as the greatest commandment, agreeing, of course, with his heavenly Father. And he also added a second commandment where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. What do we learn from that? Very simply, when we look at the two great commandments that really characterize all the law, what stands out is love. So when we talk about the character of the law, what should come into our mind is love. Secondly, the law is not an instrument that makes one righteous. The Torah cannot impart to you righteousness. It has no power to do that. Nowhere in the scripture do we see the law being an instrument of righteousness. What does the law do? The law defines what is righteous. It defines what is righteousness and what is unrighteousness. So when we ask the question, what are the two chief characteristics of the law? We have to answer love and righteousness. And what we're going to see in our study today is that these two concepts, love and righteousness, are going to figure in significantly in this passage of Scripture from 1 John chapter 3. So with that said, take out your Bible and look there. The epistle of John, the first epistle of John chapter 3. Now, as you find that location, let me share with you, and you all know that, that the New Testament was written in Greek. So when we speak about grammar, we're speaking about Greek grammar, not necessarily the grammar of, of other languages. And in Greek, the present tense has two primary messages. Now, there's an emphasis in the verbs here. Not all are in the present tense, but a unique percentage, a, a more frequent occurrence of the verbs in normal are found in the present tense. And what can that speak of? Well, the present tense in Greek can speak about, about a one-time situation, a moment in time, one moment in time. It could also be used to speak about something that is the norm, something that is consistent, something that, that continues on happening with frequency. 
something that, that is repeated. Now here, we're not talking primarily about that one moment in time, but we're going to be speaking about, and I'll give you examples of this, and it'll be very obvious in a moment, that we're speaking about something that, that characterizes, something that is, is consistent, something that's the norm. And it's very important that we understand that use of the present tense in the biblical Greek in order that we do not come away with a wrong, with an incorrect interpretation. And if we do come away with that incorrect, incorrect interpretation, we're going to see that there's other scriptures that clearly would refute that. So we're going to have something that, that is, is clarified to us by other scripture. Well, look if you would to verse 1. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says here, You see what love the Father has given to us. There's a uniqueness. Now, some Bibles will say what manner of love, what kind of love. And all of this is to, to underscore to the reader that this love that God has given to us, it is unique. It's different. So, once more. You see, and this is a word of perceiving, understanding. It's a word of coming to a proper conclusion based upon evidence. It's that which you see, that which you experience. You see what love the Father has given to us. Now, it doesn't say God, although obviously we're speaking about God the Father, the Lord, but it doesn't say Lord either. The reason why Father is mentioned here is because Father deals with a, a giver, one who supplies, one who provides. So what's emphasized here is that God is the source of this provision. That's why he's called here the Father. And another important truth concerning this passage is this phrase where it says, has given to us. It is in a grammatical construction, which means he's done that in the past. That work that, that made available to us, his love. It is a past event, and the implications are still true today and, and here's the key, will continue into the future. So God's love, what this scripture is telling us, is that that love of God, which hopefully you received in the past, you experienced it then, that same love is with you now, and it will continue into the future to be with you. God's love will not depart once you receive it. It is going to consistently be with you. Good news, and we have assurance from that fact. This is the emphasis of the perfect tense being used here. You see what love the Father has given to us, and now we see the outcome of this love. In order that children of God, we are called. Now, what do I like about that? Well, there's something that causes us to be called the children of God. And what is that? His love. 
without receiving his love. And by the way, there's only one way to receive the love of God, and that is through Messiah Yeshua, through that gospel message, through the parameters, the spiritual laws that the gospel teaches. So once we receive that love from God the Father, the outcome of that, and here's a word of purpose, in order that, that's the purpose that he afforded us his love in order that children of God we should be called and why children here again there are some translations will say sons of God this is wrong it is not the word son but it's the word children and this word for children implies a relationship and also it provides for us for the reader a context of endearment, of love, of affection. So God loves us, but he also has great affection, endearment to us. And this is why he made available his love, so that we could be recipients of all the provisions that God wants to give his children. This term for father also relates to us that we're his children, that he's going to be responsible for us. And this goes along with the fact that the good work that he's began in us, he's going to complete. Then he says, on account of this, on account of what? God's love. On account of this, the world does not know us. Why not? Because it did not know him. And what we see, one aspect of this last part of the verse shows a, a relationship. In the same way that the world does not and did not know Messiah, does not know the disciples of Messiah. There is a consistency. They reject, they don't understand, they don't perceive correctly who he is. Therefore, they will not understand they will not perceive who we are. What this is showing is a disconnect between us as believers and the world. The world's not going to understand us. They're not going to appreciate us. They're not going to value the things that God's doing in our life. They're not going to agree with our, our vision, our perspective, our thoughts, what we're about, well, how we prioritize things. There's going to be not just a disconnect, but it's going to lead, and we see this prophetically, it is going to lead to anger. There is going to be a, a, a coming against by the world to believers. The world's going to be against us, come against us. This is what this passage says. Verse 2. Beloved ones. Now, because we are the recipients of the love of God, we are beloved. So, beloved one, it says, now children of God, we are. Now, this is a declarative statement for for underscoring, emphasizing our identity. Who are we? We are children of God. And it's not yet been manifested, not yet been revealed what we will be. And the answer of why hasn't it been revealed is because we really can't comprehend, appreciate what ultimately this love of God 
that he is providing, has provided, is providing, and will provide, what that outcome from that love is going to bring about in our life. So we know, we can declare now, we are his children. We have a relationship with him. We are his family. But what we will be has not yet been revealed. That's what he's saying. But we know, keep reading, but we know that when he is manifested, light ones, meaning this, we are going to be like him. Literally, it says, like ones to him we will be. Now, just imagine that. All he's telling us at this time is that we cannot comprehend, fully appreciate what we're going to be, but we're going to be like him. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be divine, that we're going to be on that same level of him. Absolutely not but we're going to reflect the, the glory that emitted from him within him. We're going to reflect it. It is not going to emit from us, but we're going to reflect it. So the same glory is going to be seen. The difference, and this is a huge theological issue, Messiah, when he was transfigured, the transfiguration, on that mountain. What was unique was this. It was not that the glory of God shined upon him and he reflected it, and that's what, what the disciples, those three disciples saw. But rather, he stood there and from within, he manifested, emitted from within the very glory of the Father, the very glory of God. We will never do that but we are called to reflect that same glory. This is the, the difference. So he's divine. We're going to behave like him. We're going to reflect that same glory that emitted from within him. So great news for us. Then it says in the middle of verse 3, because we will see him just as he is. Now imagine that. We are going to see him just as he is. What is that conveying to us? Very simply. We are going to have knowledge of who he is, what he's like, what are the implications for him being the son of God. And we, when we know this, that knowledge is going to change us. The better we understand the Messiah, not just his name, not just what he's done, but who he truly is. Now, we know intellectually he's God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But, but that's something up here. When we understand that in our heart, it is going to have great, great outcomes. So we are going to see him just as he is. Verse, verse 3, and everyone having this hope upon him. Now, he's talking about something that is not a, a unique situation for a believer, but it should be the norm. He's using here a participle which has the purpose of description, describing something. 
He is not describing something unique for this believer or that believer or such. This should be the norm for every believer. This is what God desires. Look again at verse, verse 3. And everyone having this hope upon him. This hope is, is founded upon him. That's the uniqueness of what the Greek construction is saying here. Everyone who has this hope upon him. What does such a person do? Everyone who has that hope. It says, he purifies himself, just as that one is pure. Now, we have to point out something because most English translations will do something. It will take the demonstrative pronoun, that is the word this or that, and it will translate it in the masculine with the word him or he. So in this case, he is pure. But it doesn't say he, it's not that pronoun. It's a demonstrative, it's not a personal pronoun, but it's a demonstrative pronoun. And what's the difference? Well, the term demonstrative is for the purpose of demonstrating and to emphasize something. So it's demonstrating that he, and it's emphasizing this as well, that he is pure. Now, more and more in this passage of Scripture, what it's saying is this. What he is, we are called to be just that. That's what we're going to become. That is our identity. And we need to be manifesting that now. Not just sometime in the future, but now. So it says, look again at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope, what hope? of what we're going to be and where are we going to be this in the kingdom of God our our future eternal home and our future eternal state of being like him it says everyone who has this hope upon him he purifies himself just as that one emphasizing this pointing it out as that one is pure verse 4 for everyone who does sin also lawlessness he does. Now, we're going to see something. There's a, a unity here, a coming together between sin and lawlessness. This is huge because what the scripture is going to show us is there is a, a unique relationship between what the law expresses, love and righteousness, and one who's one with Messiah. If we're one with Messiah, we are going to walk in love, demonstrate love, and do righteousness. And likewise, the one who is in sin, what are they going to be practicing doing? They are going to be doing consistently. They're going to be doing lawlessness now lawlessness is here and it's just that word it's a word lawlessness to show what is the the opposite of what we're supposed to be we're supposed to be lawful what does that mean walk in love do righteousness that's what the law expresses the sinfulness expressive expresses lawlessness so he says here 
Look carefully at the text. Verse 4. Everyone, no exception, everyone who does sin, also lawlessness he, he does, he commits. And sin is lawlessness. Literally it says sin, we could say, is against the law. Verse 5. And you know that that one, so you know because that one, and here it is, has been manifested. We know that this one has been manifested. Not that he has been manifested, that's true. But it's to emphasize that that one, speaking of Messiah, has been manifested. Why? In order our sins he should take up. Now, this is a word for removing, taking away. So he was manifested when he came into this world some, some 2,000 years ago, a little bit more. When he entered into this world, he came, and this is what the scripture says, that he should take away our sin. That was his call. He did the work. Whether you're going to benefit from that depends on if you receive his work. In order that our sins, he should take away, remove. And, and sin in him, there is not. Now, the reason why he could do this perfectly, that he could accomplish his father's will, is that he never sinned. And this is also being, being shouted in this verse, that it says, and sin in him, there is not. A declarative statement. Verse, verse 6. Everyone in him who abides remain. Now, this is important because this shows a, a condition. Now, this is not speaking about being saved, not being saved, falling into salvation, falling out of salvation. Nowhere in the scripture do we see that. What it talks about is remaining in a, a relationship of obedience. I'm still, if I am rebelling, if I am faithless, the scripture says, he is faithful. That love that he has for me, once I enter into this relationship through that new covenant, I can be assured he is not going to remove his love from me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. But when I am rebelling, I'm not going to be a recipient of all of his provisions. I'm not going to be doing that which is pleasing to him. When I choose sin, there are earthly consequences to that. Some have spiritual consequences. It's not a question of God's going to deny you. It's a question that he's not going to be pleased with you. But listen to what he says here. We're in verse, verse 6, where it says, Everyone who in him remains. Now, again, it's a participle for describing someone. The one who remains, abides in him, does not sin. Now, here's a good example of the present tense and its use. It's talking about a norm. It's talking about a situation. Whenever I am remaining in him, in his word, in his will, doing his purposes, I'm not going to be sinning. 
This verse in this passage is not saying that if you're a true believer, you never, ever, ever, ever will sin. We know that's not the case because he told us earlier, if we should sin, he writes these things so we don't sin. But if we should sin, we have an advocate. We have an attorney, the righteous one who intercedes for us, who, who forgives us. So nowhere do we see in the scripture that a believer, once becoming a believer, he never sins, she never commits any type of transgression. No. What the scripture is saying is this, when I am remaining in him, abiding in him, I'm not going to be sinning at those times. For everyone who sins has not seen him, nor has he known him. So everyone here who is practicing, and here it is, constantly, in a consistent way. One who never falls under conviction, never repents, never has any remorse, sins and sins consistently. That one has not known him in the past. He doesn't know him now, and he won't know him into the future. It's just that simple. You don't know you have not experienced him because the one who has, when we sin, we're going to have remorse. We're going to repent. We're going to be grieved about that. Our spirit is going to, to fill the effects of that sinfulness. It's not going to be a joyful thing. We are not going to live in sin. That's what he's talking about here. But the one who is sinning constantly, that's his manner of life. That's his norm. There's a consistency of him going against God's will. It's because he has not seen him, nor has he known him. Verse 7. But for us, he's talking about a different, different behavior, a different situation. Why? Look now at verse 7. Children, do not allow anyone to deceive you. So, children, do not be deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you. Let nothing deceive you. The one who is doing righteousness, and here again, this speaks its it's a description, but it also speaks about what's the norm, what is consistent. He says here, don't let anyone deceive you. The one who is doing righteousness is righteous, just as, and it's emphatic, just as that one is righteous. So there's a, a consistency and there is an agreement. Just as he, literally, that one. Now, it's the same one, Yeshua. You say, well, what difference does it make if it says, as he is righteous, or it says, as that one? The term, that one, as I mentioned earlier, is simply to, to demonstrate something. That he, it makes it emphatic, that he is the righteous one. Now, we can do righteousness, but, but our righteousness comes from him. We all know the verse that his righteousness was imputed to us. So we, in and of ourselves, are not righteous. We, because he lives within us, because his spirit fills us, leads us, anoints us, we can practice righteousness, commit righteousness, do good things, righteous things. But, but it's his character living out through us. He, on the other hand, this one, 
That one is righteous, verse, verse 8. The one who is doing sin. Here again, that's the consistency. He is consistently doing sin. That's the norm of his life. The one who does sin from the devil is he. So it's just that simple. If I'm living a life and consistently, continuously, I'm in sin. That tells us I am not a child of God, but rather I am from the devil. Now, does that mean that, that, that people who are from the devil, they never do anything that, that is nice or pleasant or generous? They always tell a lie? No. There are people who are from the devil that, that can do something nice for someone, be generous, do a favor for someone. They can at times say something that's true, but if you look at their life, you're going to see a consistent disobedience to the word of God. There is going to be consistently sin. So that's why he says, look again at verse 8. The one who is doing sin from the devil is he. Because from the beginning, the devil sins. Now, some Bibles will say, has sinned from the beginning. But it literally speaks of the use of the present. From the beginning, the devil sins. That was his character. That was the description of his life. He's consistently, from the beginning, sins. Not just that he has sinned, but he continues in sin. That's its message. And for this, the Son of God has been manifested, has been revealed. In order, and this is the purpose of Messiah, in order to destroy the works of the devil. Now, we have to see this in two levels. The work that the devil himself is doing, the work that his servants, the demons, unclean spirits, they are doing, and also he is going to destroy the works of the devil that human beings do. So there's coming time, Messiah has been manifested, and he's won the battle. How has he won the battle? On the cross. What's the proof of that? The resurrection. So he is going to perfectly defeat the enemy. And the word here is that word for utterly to destroy. Verse 9. Everyone who has been born from God. Now notice this. Has been born. It speaks about something that you couldn't do for yourself. It's in the passive. You have to be born, meaning this. Someone bears you. And secondly, it's in the perfect passive which means that this new birth that happens to you, you don't birth yourself, but you are born. It's in the passive. And we see that that has began in the past. It's still true in the present, and it will continue. The, the grammar is so important teaching us. So everyone who has been born from God, it says sin he does not do. Does that mean he never, ever, if he's a believer, been born of God, he'll never do a sin. Does not mean that. It means the use of the present tense means that it's not the consistency of his behavior. 
It is not what is the norm. It does not uh, describe, define who he is. He may sin, but he is not a sinner. When he does sin, it's out of the regularity. What does he do regularly? He practices righteousness. He, he loves. He demonstrates the love that he has received from God to others. This is where this passage is going. So once more, everyone who has been born from God, sin he does not do in a consistent way. Because his seed in him remains or abides. So the fact that the seed of Messiah, that is the presence through the Spirit of God who dwells in us, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Messiah. Because the seed of God, his seed, remains in him, that presence of Messiah will not allow that person to walk consistently and continuously in sin. That, that seed is going to cause him to fall under conviction. That seed is going to cause him to repent. That seed is going to cause him to want to turn in obedience to the will of God. And he says, second part of verse 9, and he is not able to sin. Now, we know that believers are able to sin. So what is this saying? That, that he is not going to be able to consistently be in sin. Sin is not going to be something that he can tolerate on a consistent basis. What is he going to be doing consistently? We see this. Righteousness. Doing the will of his Father. Walking in obedience to the ministry of Messiah. What Messiah would do. What Messiah is about. His business. His kingdom business. That's going to be what is our new nature. We've been born into that. We have a new condition. Now, does the flesh ever get the best of us? Yes, it does. But it's not going to be what defines us and what is going to be known as the, the sum total of our life. We're not going to be in sin. Why? Because from God, he has been born. Verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil it is manifested. Now, what's being manifested is the ability to discern who belongs to God and who belongs to the devil. Who are God's children? Who are the devil's children? Very simple. How do they behave? Now, here again, we're saved by faith through grace. But having been saved, our deeds, our actions are going to manifest that, that faith or the lack thereof. Whether we are a servant of God or whether we are a certain of, ser servant of the devil, there's no position in between. It's an either or. Either you are a servant of God or a servant of the devil. Now, think for a moment. If you're a true believer, do you want to be associated, thought of, described as a child of the a devil? Obviously, no. That is, is repulsive to us. That's, that's not who we are. We belong as servants of the living God. So, so I want to do, not because my salvation depends upon it. It doesn't. My salvation depends on the cross. 
It's been done. God said it was perfectly done. He testified by raising his son from the dead. So I am saved. I have assurance of that. And the proof of that, the testimony of that is, I want to be an obedient child of God. Why? Because it's the right thing. It's the good thing. It's the best thing. It's the most joyful thing from the position of eternity, from the position of truth, reality. I don't want to, to be a child of the devil. Why? I know what's going to happen to the devil. So it reveals to us. That's what it's saying. It's manifested to us who we belong to. And then he says in the middle of verse 10, the one and everyone who does not do righteousness is not from God. It's a law. If you are not consistently concerned and behaving for righteousness, if that doesn't describe you, then he says you are not from God. The one who is from God is going to be given over, committed to, workers of righteousness. Not workers of lawlessness, of iniquity, but righteousness is going to be what we desire. And then he says, that one who, who does not belong to God, it says, and he does not love his brother. Now, when you think of this for a moment, loving your brother, what comes into your mind? Viahafta lareacha kamocha. That commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So one who is born again, one who is a child of God, he is going to want righteousness, and that righteousness is going to be for not just himself, but for his brother, meaning for the one that's near him, around him, for the one who is next to him. So he's going to love his brother. We've learned love your neighbor as yourself is foundational for the Torah, that great second commandment, verse 11, because this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. What's that? Well, we just said, love your neighbor as yourself in order that we should love one another. We've heard that from the very beginning. Now, does everyone practice that? No, but a child of God does. He's going to love his neighbor. And now in the last verse, he's going to give us an example of that. Look at our last verse, verse 12. Not as Cain, who was from the evil one, meaning this, he was motivated. He belonged to the evil one. He did things based upon evil. And what did he do? He didn't love his brother. He slayed his brother. And on account of, of what did he slay him? Well, why? Because his works, they were evil. Now, what it's saying here is this. You can know who Cain belonged to based upon his works, what he was doing, and it manifested not in love for his brother, but he killed his brother. Once again, look at this text. Not as Cain. This is not who we are. This is not how we behave. Not as Cain who was from the evil one, and he slayed his brother. And on account of this, he manifested him. Why? Because 
his deeds, his works, they were evil. But, but the one, and it says here, but his brother, Cain's brother, who was that? Hevel or Abel in English. But his brother, it says here, his works were what? Were righteous. So it shows this dichotomy. We either belong to God or the devil. We're either walking in love or we're going to be walking in that which is the opposite of love. We're not going to be a blessing. We're not going to be one who helps someone make life a godly life, but we're going to be not giving life, but taking life as Cain did. We're not going to be doing that which is righteous, but doing that which is unrighteous. So what he's saying here is this. A true believer, you can examine their life and you can see in his life, in her life, what is the consistent message? What is the consistent activity? Is it motivated in love and produces righteousness? Does it show love for his neighbor or is that one hostile? That one willing to take a life, harm a life? Or is his deeds good or are his deeds unrighteous? That's what the scripture is saying. There should be a consistency in our behavior based upon our faith and who we belong to. Well, I'll close with that until next week and we continue on in chapter 3. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. <laughs>